Hi, it's uh, great to spend time with you again today as part of this uh, worship service. We get to look into this incredible book, the Bible, inspired and true, God's mechanism for speaking into our lives. And my honest prayer for everyone who listens today is that, that you will hear from God, not me, but from the Lord by the still small voice with which he speaks. And uh, let's pray to that end. Let's ask God now to come and move in such a way in each of our lives that uh, we know his will for us. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do thank you that we can come to you now in this, in this service of worship, that we can be quiet in your presence, that we can meditate, if you would, in this book, that uh, I can teach and, and, and bring the truths of Scripture to life and pray, Lord, that that happens indeed. And we do ask that this might be a time when it's not simply learning facts, but Lord, this is a time when we engage with you, when we open our minds and our hearts to your word and allow those truths which are spoken to us to to sink deeply into our hearts and transform us and indeed lord transform our lives so lord we give you this time we sit expectantly before you and we pray that indeed you will now speak in christ's name we pray amen well i want to start uh this morning by talking about this painting that you have seen develop over these last four weeks this is the fifth in the series on real Christianity and and the last sermon that I'll speak to that end. But it has been a series on grace. And this painting that that has been done uh, has been painted by Gracia Wasink. And I want to start by thanking Gracia uh, for the numerous hours, many, many hours that she's put into this project. Not only the painting itself, but but the 41 three to five minute video clips that she sent to our to our people so that they can take from it and, and, and give to you on a Sunday morning uh, the things that they wanted you to see at the, at the time. So, Gracia, thank you. Wonderful job, and, and it's so good to see your gifts that God has given to you being used in this way. I want to just make a quick comment on something I think is really cool, and that is that Gracia actually means grace. So we've had grace, painting about grace, so that we might know grace. I like that. Anyway, the, the, the painting itself depicts grace in a powerful way i would suggest to you it begins by uh looking if you would at the top corner where the, on the left where the crosses are that that is the the reality which has allowed the grace of god the saving grace of god to come into our lives jesus dying on the cross in our place so that we might enter into this relationship with god that we do not deserve by faith an amazing component of the of the picture and then the blood of christ dripping down from the cross onto God's people, bottom left corner. And one of those people is lying on the ground, broken, uh, in great need. Others are now standing, and, and, and they're being covered, if you would, by the blood of Christ. And they're gazing up to God, the hand of God, top right corner. And from that hand, grace is just flowing upon them, coming down upon them and, and enveloping them as they look up and understand it and live in it. And then there are those swirls that you'll see in the hand of God and, and around that, that uh, dynamic. And to me, that represents the motion of God, the action of God, the spirit of God with great intentionality, blessing his people over and over and over again. And I'm sure there's much more in the painting that, that speaks to grace, but I mean, that in itself just speaks profoundly of the love of God and how it has been shown to us through the grace of God. Again, Gracia. Thank you for your ministry among us. As, the, as, as we move into this sermon today, I would like to suggest, if I could, that I myself have tried to 
paint a picture of grace with my words. This beautiful reality that has been painted for you in color and in paints, hopefully a beautiful reality that you've begun to grasp in deeper terms and in, in, in the using of words. And we've talked about how the grace of God flows into our lives so we're enveloped in it, right? We've talk, talked about how the grace of God comes to us and then we can give it away to others, treating others with the grace which we have received. I want to take a step further today to consider one final way that grace can impact our lives. And that is that we come to a place where we literally allow the grace of God which we have come to know be offered to ourselves. Do we live by grace? Do we offer grace to ourselves in and through our lives? See, many people don't. Many followers of Jesus don't. And it's tragic in my mind. There are people who live on the continuum, which I've talked about before, whether it be between law and grace. And, and they lean toward seeing sin and, uh, and judging it. They lean toward the law as an orientation for faith. They lean toward quickly and easily judging other folks who fall and, and, and break the law. My friends, when, when we have that orientation to life, when we have that orientation to faith, when we come to our own sin, what so often happens is that we get pretty quick not only to judge other people who have broken the law, we start to judge ourselves when we break the law. We experience guilt as a result. It becomes common in the lives of those who live in that way. Guilt essentially is knowing that I've done something wrong and feeling badly about it. It's like we know God knows and we're before God. <laughs> and, 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 and really, we, we, we know he's, we've broken his law and we come to that place of regret, even remorse. Now that in itself is not a bad thing. Biblically, guilt has a role to play. It's okay to feel guilt once in a while because what it does is lead us back to, to the Lord, lead us to repentance. And then lead us to the restoration of real, deep, personal fellowship with, with our God, which, of course, is what we long for. But too often, my friends, guilt goes beyond this so that we get stuck in it. We get stuck in guilt, and we live in it. It's like instead of being surrounded and immersed in grace, we get surrounded and immersed in guilt. We need to come to that place where we, where we recognize that dynamic and do something about it. You know, we have that sense that in this reality that maybe God's not happy with us, that somehow we're not good enough. So the guilt can even start to become, if you were a prime motivation for our lives. It what, it's what motivates us to do what we do even. You know, we do what we do in, the, in terms of doing good things, not because we love God, not because, you know, we desire to bless other people and show them love, not because we have a desire for holiness in our lives. We do what we do, in some instances, tragically, to avoid guilt because it really doesn't feel good at all. It's something that's hard to live with. So an unhealthy guilt becomes chronic in our lives. It's always there. And it's a powerful influence in our lives. It's, if you would, a state of being. Sometimes things go beyond this to a more intense experience of guilt, which is called shame. Shame is a really difficult thing to live with, to experience. 
It's not just that I've done something wrong, breaking the law, but it's that there's something wrong with me. That's our conclusion. Here we identify not only the sin, but we identify ourselves as the sinner. Oddly enough, we become our own judge and we condemn ourselves. And we condemn ourselves as unworthy. Not in God's sight, although we might think so, but in our own sight. And I want to tell you, my friends, this is a terrible feeling. It is a, a painful experience of disgrace, which is really the opposite of grace. And it's a very, very hard way to live. I don't know whether I'm speaking to people today who can identify with this, but I'm pretty sure I likely am. Maybe all of us to some degree. But I want to speak specifically today with people who live in chronic guilt and people who experience shame for what they have once done. So what do you do when you find yourself in this place? Number one, and this is so, so important. Number one, we recognize that this is not what God wants for us. (laughs) This is not the experience of life that he has called us to in Christ. Let me, let me take you to scripture. Think of King David. Sinned egregiously. Here's the word that I used last week. Big sins. Committed adultery with Bathsheba. Killed Uriah, her husband. A, a faithful, loyal soldier. I mean, his sin was significant. And he didn't deal with it, didn't repent of it until the prophet came and, and, and God convicted him with his sin. And to his credit, he repented of it. I want to take you to Psalm 51, 7 to 12. And I want to read to you the prayer of David that which he is seeking from God to help him move beyond his experience of guilt, which he should have felt. <laughs> That's why God convicted him. It says this. And this, is, this speaks to what it is we can know in Christ. Verse 7, Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Did you just hear the things that God desires for us when we do come to him having committed sin, having repented, what what he can take us toward and into. The the, the psalm is so powerful. It talks about how how God cleanses us, how God makes us whiter than snow, how he hides his, his, his face from our sins, how he blots out our iniquities. But even more than this, how in this dynamic we know joy and gladness and even end up rejoicing in him. That's what God wants for you and me. That's what his heart's desire is. And that is good. Well, what do we do with guilt? I want to take you again to another passage in the New Testament. It's a passage in 2 Corinthians 7 that, where Paul is describing, if you would, a good and a bad guilt. A healthy and an unhealthy guilt. What we're intended to experience and what we're not supposed to experience in life. And he calls them uh, worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. So listen to these verses. Uh, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 8 to 11. 
says this. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, he had written a previous letter convicting them of sin, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended so that you were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you? What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. You see, two types of sorrow Paul describes. Uh, A godly sorrow causes people to quickly move toward repentance and quickly discover again that restoration to the intimate fellowship that they can have with God. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. And they have no regrets. No regrets, no lingering regrets of what they have done. But a worldly sorrow, (laughs) that's guilt or shame. And that brings death, Paul writes. What God wants is for us to deal with sin quickly and then move beyond it. To not dwell in our guilt. To not live in it. That's what God does, my friends. That's what God does. God forgives and he forgets. And he moves on all these things that we've described from, from, from Psalm 51. In the end of the day, God sees us as righteous and holy and even perfect in his sight because we are in Christ and he sees the righteousness and the holiness and the perfectness of Jesus. That's the biblical truth. That's the reality that we have to form our lives around in this way. Another text coming to us from Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to uh, 15, beginning of the verse of 15 says this not that I have already obtained this and he's referencing the previous verse where he wants to know the power of the resurrection and participations in Christ's sufferings and becoming like him in his death to somehow attain to the resurrection from the dead not that I have already obtained all this or have I already attained arrived at my goal but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me brothers and sisters I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And I'll stop there. (laughs) That's a remarkable statement. We who have come to a deeper understanding of faith, we who have allowed the word of God to transform our lives, we who have come to a greater maturity in faith. This is how we're to view things. What is that? Very simply, it's this. (laughs) That just as God has done, we move beyond what's in the past. Paul strives for what's ahead. Forgetting what happened previously, he moves forward in grace. And this is what we are called to do. 
You know, I've referenced the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8 uh, a couple of times now in this series, and I'll do it again very briefly. But after Jesus refused to judge her, what did he say? He said, go and leave your life of sin. Go and just move beyond what once was. Just move in the direction of faithfulness and goodness. Follow God with all of your heart, allowing good things to come because of your encounter with grace in this moment. See what scripture is saying, my friends? Leave it in the past. It's done. Forgiven and forgotten. You've been cleansed and been made whiter than snow. Move forward and find joy. Move forward and find find the reality of, 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 of what King David found um, in Christ. So I want to say this, and I want you to take this with great seriousness. The devil wants you to get stuck in your past sin. I can't emphasize this enough. enough. That's what he desires. That's what he works toward. The word devil itself means accuser. And that's what the devil does. He accuses us. He puts thoughts in our minds and he accuses us of of, of the things that we have done in the past in an attempt to, to get us to dwell on and live in guilt and or shame. Now, if indeed we do, we are going to start drawing some conclusions. I am a sinner. I am unworthy. <laughs> I, I don't want to live this way. And that's where, of course, the prime motivation of guilt kicks in. And we do what we do for just the wrong reasons. Not only am I guilty of breaking the law, there's something wrong with me, we think. And that's because we're dwelling on the past. We're, do, we're dwelling on those those sins that we've committed for which we've been forgiven and which God has forgotten about. I had a spiritual director once say to me, you know, Chris, God doesn't live in the past. What do you think of that? I thought for a moment that I could argue with him. Theologically, God is eternal. He's in the past, he's in the present, and he's is in the future, but I didn't because I wanted to be open to what that man was saying to me. And what he was saying to me is what I'm saying to you. God does not dwell in the past. The devil does. God dwells in the present moment by his grace in your life. My friends, can we dwell in the present moment with God and live in his grace? You know I love the story of the prodigal son transformative story in my life now for years but think of that son he came home and he admitted his guilt to his dad he repented and when we sin we need to repent confess our sin ask for forgiveness and he was quickly and easily forgiven by the father who represent who represents god in this story this is this is a profound expression of the grace of god to human beings it's teaching us about god and how god will act when we come to him in repentance and this this young man is treated with incredible grace he is reinstated as a son given all the rights and privileges of 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 uh being the son of this this wealthy landowner owner and then what did he do this is so powerful what did that young man do having been forgiven, having been given the ring and the robes and the sandals and so forth. 
I want to tell you what he did. He went and he joined a party. Now think of the Jewish party scene that might come to your mind, whether it's ancient or present. But these, these are parties with singing and dancing and celebration, the joy of life. My friends, I want to tell you, he entered into that. His sin was done and it was gone as he left it in his past. And his father did also. The only one who couldn't enter the party was the legalistic, judgmental, critical older brother. Hmm. You see it? What's God calling you to? How is it that God wants you to live your life? Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. You know, I, I, I could say with all of these verses, I love them, and I, I guess I do quite often, but these are all powerful verses. There are verses given to us by God, verses inspired by the work of the Holy Spirit that we might know the truth of God. Paul's writing to the church in Galatia. It's a church that is grappling with some teaching which is calling them back to legalism, the legalism of the Pharisees and Jews and so forth encouraging people to exercise all those old laws, circumcision, and, and so forth. And Paul, in much of his letter, saying, no, you don't, need to do, you don't need to go back there. It's not necessary. But listen to this, Galatians 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Don't go back to that old understanding of faith, which just produces guilt and shame in your life. That burdened experience of trying to prove your worth and your value to God. Don't dwell there. Don't live in that. And I want to ask today, my friends, have you been set free? You know, have you come to that place where, 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 where you can, you, you, you know in your heart of hearts that you're free of of all judgment and condemnation? If, if you're forgiven, it doesn't matter what happened in your past. It's literally an irrelevancy now. It's done and it's gone so that you can enter into the party. I'm going to read one more verse to you. I told you I was going to read lots of verses today. And I just trust with all of my heart that these words of God become power, the powerful words of God to you. That's why they were given. It says this, Romans 8, verses 1 to 3. Listen to this, those of you who struggle with guilt and shame. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh... God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned uh, sin in the flesh. My friends, those are life-changing words if you take them to heart. For those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. It's done. If we repent of our sin, if we confess of our sin, if we are saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus, <laughs> there is no condemnation. It does not exist. It's something people experience. 
that they concoct in their own imagination. It does not come from God. My friends, if it doesn't exist, why should we live according to it? See, what the law could not do, Jesus did on the cross. So my friends, if you're in Christ, I'm going to say this to you, and I believe it to be biblical truth. You, you are not guilty, you are innocent. You are justified, you are righteous in the eyes of God. You're not condemned. You're, you're innocent and righteous and justified because of Jesus' work on the cross. And you are free of condemnation. And you forever will be in Jesus. And my point, I guess, today is this. If God sees you in this way, why would we not? If God treats us with grace, shouldn't we treat ourselves with grace? If we have been forgiven, isn't it right to forgive ourselves for the things we once did? And just move beyond them? If God has offered us mercy, can't we offer ourselves mercy? You see, my friends, I, I, I have just struggled with this, these texts, and, and, and I want you to think about this is what life in Christ is intended to be. You know, Jesus called it an abundant life. Going way back to the first series, we a ser- sermon in this series, we looked at the message and it, it talks about a rich and satisfying life. It's an incredibly good life. It is a life that is filled with joy and peace and love and freedom. It is a life that is described in Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son, as a party, a celebration of what God has done. There's no judgment and condemnation in that. Honestly, I want to put it this way to you. We will either align ourselves with one of two beings. We can align ourselves with God and his truth as it is revealed clearly in Scripture and move beyond condemnation, self-condemnation, guilt, shame. It's his desire for you. It's what he wants you to believe and what he wants you to do. Or we can align ourselves with the devil Very literally. We can believe his lies. We can let the past stay living and powerful as a means of condemnation in our experience. Which do you choose? I'm going to take you to Psalm 34. One verse that I just think is an incredible verse. I love it. Psalm 34 verse 5 says this those who look to him are radiant their faces are never covered with shame do you feel the power of those words do you understand the truth of those words those who look to the Lord (laughs) our faces are radiant we're beaming with joy and with gladness and with gratitude and with love because we see what we see in our Father. We know what we know from Scripture. Our faces are never covered with shame. Never. My friends, 
What covers your face today? When you look at God, and when you see him as he really is, your face will be radiant with joy. You will shine. (laughs) You will be transformed when you know the truth of God in the depth of your heart. You see, what needs to happen, and this is the way it is with all truth of Scripture, the Word of God as it comes to us, we receive it in our minds. But it's got to go so much farther than an intellectual understanding. It has to to penetrate our hearts. That's the real us. That's that's who we really are. That's what we really believe deep down. Sometimes it's a lie. Sometimes it's God's truth. But when the truth of God penetrates our hearts, it changes us. And my hope and my prayer over the course of this series is that you have been changed by the truth of God. I hope and I pray with all of my heart by the work of the Spirit of God that your understanding of God has changed, that your relationship with God has changed, that your relationships with one another has and will continue to change, and indeed your relationship with yourself, if I can put it that way, will also change. You see, my friends, this is what I've described as real Christianity, and it is. That experience of guilt and shame, chronic guilt, ongoing experience of shame, that has nothing to do with the gospel of Christ. (laughs) Real Christianity is a living faith where we know the goodness of God in incredible measure. Us being treated in a way that we do not deserve because of God and his grace. I'm just going to take a moment to pray. I want to ask you, my friends, would you pray with me? And I'm just going to give you a moment in prayer. Um, And I'm going to invite you to, to go to the Lord with anything that might bring guilt or shame into your life or has with any consistency. And I would like you to pray something like this, just you on your own. Lord, in your presence and by your grace, I forgive myself for whatever. And then, Lord, help me from this day forward to leave this in my past and to move forward to live in your grace. So let's pray. Again, Lord, in your presence today and by your grace, I forgive myself for you fill in the blank. And help me from this day forward to live, to leave this in my past and to move forward in your grace. Let's pray. Lord, these things we pray in the powerful and freeing name of Jesus. Amen.